0: From meeting and working with three presidents as mayor to cliffhangers about floods, famous people, near disasters, and encounters with a ton of interesting characters, this is Tales from the Jim City with former mayor Chuck Schultz. Join us for this reoccurring bonus segment. I'm History of Go Go's host, Rob Mellon. Welcome back, Chuck.
1: Well, thanks for having me again, Rob.
0: Well, it's great to have you back. And of course, we got a very important topic to talk about today. Not the Lattice fries capital of Illinois, but the Lattice fries capital of the entire world.
1: <laughs> I think we should have one of those green highway signs posted really at all of the entrances to Quincy that says that we are indeed birthplace and hometown of a Lattice Fry, which is sometimes misreferred to as the waffle cut potato. But we know what a Lattice Fry is in Quincy. And, you know, we're both community pride guys, Rob, and we like to You know, we take pride that uh, Paul Sebbets was born in Quincy, that we hosted the lincoln Douglas debate, but uh, also our uh, restaurant heritage here, because seriously, our listeners may think we're just kidding around, but we actually have a uh, United States Federal District court case that determines, as far as anybody can tell, this is about the first place that anybody uh, served Lattice fries.
0: That's right, yeah. And just to clarify, Chuck, only Neanderthals call them waffle cut fries.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, not a not a Quincian.
0: So, how does that controversy start for you? Because you get involved in it back in I think the nineteen nineties,
1: uh, eighty early eighties. It's about forty years ago. Oh, I was a young associate in the law firm of Schultz, Staff, and Palmer in those days, and I was the you know low man on the totem pole. A couple of years out of law school. And believe it or not, I was I was the last guy there at six o'clock at night. And we always answered the phone, Rob, because you never know, that might be an estate that needs to be probated or something vital. So I pick up the phone and it was a man by the name of Bill Mathis, who was a very prominent and successful patent lawyer in Washington, D.C. And I knew him because I went to college in Washington and this guy knew my dad. And so he took me to some games there. He was in a big farm that had a box and so forth. So, you know, uh, he was very nice to me during my college days, and I was happy to hear from him. And I said, what can I help you with, Mr. Mathis? He said, have you ever heard of a place called Sprouts Restaurant? (laughs) And I said, indeed, I was quite familiar with Sprouts. And he asked me if they serve some sort of waffle cut potato. And I said, well, Mr. Mathis, I think you might be talking about a lattice fry." He says, well, maybe so. That might be what they're called. And Quincy, would you mind going out and getting an order of those and bring them back to your office and call me? And, uh, you know, six o'clock at night, I said, well, okay. I'll probably get a piece of coconut cream pie while I'm out there. (laughs) But I went to Sprouts and I called my wife and said, don't wait on dinner. And I got back to the office and I called Mr. Matheson. So I got these lattice fries Rob. And he has me get out a ruler, and I'm trying to measure how wide they are, how long they are, what are the spaces in between there. And then finally, he says, hey, you got a copy machine, right? This is 1981. And I said, sure. He said, can you put one on the copy machine, make a copy, and then put that in the fax machine? So I put these greasy glass fries on the glass of the copy machine. And make the copies and then dutifully fax those out to Washington, D.C. And, you know, like all patent lawyers, this guy has an engineering background. And he's very interested in the most minute details of my now kind of, you know, those lattice fries are best consumed right out of the <laughs> the fryer. Absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, I said, Mr. Mathis, I, you know, pardon me, I'm happy to help, but you're going to tell me what's going on here. And he said, well... Our firm represents Orida Potatoes. You may have heard of them. I said, absolutely. He said, well, if you go to the supermarket locally and you go to the frozen food section, you'll find a bag of what we call waffle-cut potatoes in there. And I said, okay, yeah. And that looks like what we call lattice frying. He said, exactly. But we're getting sued by somebody who says they invented the waffle-cut potato, and in fact, they got a patent. patent was issued back in, like, 1980, some guy out in Idaho. And he describes that after years of experimentation, he has found the perfect hybrid of the French fry and the potato chip, and it's the waffle-cut potato. And uh, Mr. Mathis explained to me, I didn't know anything about patent law, he said, they can't enforce that patent. That patent is no good if I can prove that it wasn't unique at the time it was issued last year in 1980 or whatever. And I said, well, if we're talking about lattice fries, I guarantee you I've been eating them (laughs) way before 1980. (laughs) And he said, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And Quincy, Illinois, became the nexus of this battle in federal court over the lattice fries. So we had lawyers and litigants come in from all over the country and deposition after deposition. And I was the local guy. And this was a good case for me, Rob, as a young lawyer, because Mr. Mathis, you know, encouraged me to keep track of my time. That's always a good thing to hear for a young lawyer that's trying to get some (laughs) billable hours, you know. So in any event, I rustled up. uh, Well, we started with Sprouts because that's the name that he had out there in Washington and the whole country he had in his mind, Sprouts Restaurant. And, of course, they did have lettuce fries. But as you know, Rob, they go back even further back than Sprouts. but. Sprout McLean did have whether or not he invented it, I'm not sure, but he had a cutter that he took around and sold to other restaurants. And we uh, we found a gentleman, an older fellow, who had sold lattice fry cutters at Merkel's Hardware in Quincy. And then we started to talk to people and collect some old menus, and those were were really considered probative, as we say in the in the legal business, which is good evidence, good proof. Because uh, you could have gone to the Ritz restaurant in Quincy in the 1920s and had an order of lattice fries for five cents.
0: Yeah, that's correct.
1: (laughs) And we had the menus to prove it. (laughs) So, and you know, it's not that they hadn't looked around. I believe there was a town in Kentucky and another one in Ohio that had served what we call lattice fries, but didn't go anywhere near back. To as far as you found, Rob, which is uh, I had menus from the twenties, but I think you've discovered the actual initial lattice fry in Quincy was what nineteen twenty one.
0: Well, as far as they can, as far as I can tell, there was a guy named Eddie Spickler, and he actually worked at the Ritz Carlton Hotel in New York City, and he moved to Quincy.
1: Wow, the real Ritz,
0: the real Ritz, right? <laughs> so now we know the origins of the name of the Ritz restaurant, and so he opened up a little sandwich shop on. Uh, let me see here. 722 North 10th. So it would have been close to where the hospital is today. Hmm. And he would sell ground tenderloins with a side of lattice fries, and you can get the whole meal for 10 cents. <laughs> and that started in 1921. And so he actually opened up numerous restaurants, which I I didn't know that. I didn't know there were numerous Ritz locations.
1: I only remember hearing about a Ritz on North 12th. I didn't know there were others either.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I found out that there's actually one on 8th and York, and that was in 1927. The one on 12th and Locust, which is the current location of the Hardee's, a lot of people remember that. That was the longest surviving one before it moved, I guess, downtown. And that was in 1926, and he even opened up one in 1930 in Keokuk. So there were several Ritz restaurants, and they were all selling these lattice fries in the 1920s. And then, of course, other restaurants started doing it because they had that cutter that you had mentioned, and they actually believed that it was, there was a blacksmith shop at 12th and Chestnut that was later turned into a machine shop, and they were the ones that made these cutters that these Quincy restaurants were making these lattice fries with. So by the time Sprouts came around in 1948, most of the Quincy restaurants and the Quincy patrons were used to eating lattice fries, and so they exist to today.
1: Sure. So Evelyn and Cecil McLean would have thought, well, we got to have lattice fries for our customers. And I think when they started, they started around 10th and Broadway, and then eventually moved to the North 12th Street uh, location. And of course, there's a whole dynasty of McClain's in the with restaurant history in Quincy now, thanks to to Mom and Dad, Cecil and Evelyn. But I think we can pretty much say, Rob, that Quincy is indeed the birthplace. Of the lattice fry, and uh, whether that's signage or just local lore or grist for the uh, <laughs> tourist, uh, I think we need to say it. I'm a big believer. You'll know, let somebody else disprove it. I, you know, I I was in a meeting down at the park district that we're working on Quincy Bay restoration. I said we should have a giant statue here of LaSalle. because, in my mind, the Ellington Stone, inscribed in 1671, and found out in Ellington Township, back around uh, the turn of the uh, 20th century, establishes that LaSalle, who we know was out exploring two years before Marquette and Joliet claimed to have discovered the Upper Mississippi, down at Grafton at the Confluence, that it's more likely that LaSalle, guided by Native Americans, got off around Maradoccia at McKee Creek and followed that west into Adams County, forded over to Cedar Creek, and floated down into Quincy Bay.
0: I like the idea. I do.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, we just say, hey, this is where the upper Mississippi was first encountered by Europeans. And if you don't believe me, uh, you know, try to make your case for Marquette and Joliet because, you know, that Ellington stone, which people can see on the second floor of the Quincy Museum at 16th and Main, it's not something made up as a hoax. It has the 1671 and the inscription and the Jesuit markings. Right. And beyond that, the farmer that discovered it kept in his barn for 20 years. It wasn't like right. somebody tried to use it, you know, to exploit it. He finally took it into, I think, a priest at Quincy University and took it up to the University of Chicago. It's a very interesting thing. And my Clinger and I are big believers in the Ellington Stone. So eventually when the Clinger Trail gets out to 36th, I think we will have something there to tell the history of the Ellington Stone because that's clearly, in those days, the creeks were much wider and you could you could navigate with a canoe. And uh, that's probably exactly where he floated down because, you know, the Clinger Trail is basically Cedar Creek. Originally, we called it Cedar Creek Linear Parkway. But it's following Cedar Creek there, and uh, that's the creek that led to the discovery of the Upper Mississippi of Quincy Bay back in 1671. Rob, wow, yeah, let's we'll get to work on that. We we'll get to work
0: on it. You know, I did come across when I was looking in the papers. There was an old timer back then in 1992 when they wrote this story. His name was Lawrence Lepper. I don't know if you knew a Lawrence Lepper. He was close to 90 back then.
1: I bet I know some of his descendants.
0: Yes, definitely. So he tells this story and he said, when we would go a courtin, you would have to take the young lady to the sandwich shop and they always expected lattice fries. So that was an interesting <laughs> little story from the twenties. He said, when we would go, you know, on a date in 1920s, you'd go to one of these sandwich shops in Quincy and the names are really cool. I don't know if you remember the sugar bowl on Hampshire. Oh yes. Yes. And the, Try Me Sandwich Shop, and of course you had the Ritz restaurants as well, and then the A&W actually served them.
1: Well, people uh, listening will remember uh, Elder and Elder's Restaurant, Elder Renega, at 18th and State, but Elder had a sandwich shop downtown. And uh, I believe there was some gambling going on in the basement, from what I understand. (laughs) But, you know, in those days, that was business as usual in wide open Quincy, Illinois. That's another podcast, right, Rob?
0: Oh, yeah. We definitely have to do that. I do have one other little connection. And the interesting thing was somehow Quincy gets associated with the potato. You know, we're not Idaho, (laughs) but, but we get associated with the potato. And there was a story in the Wall Street Journal. And it was when Dan Quayle misspelled potato.
1: I remember that.
0: You remember that? And so then...
1: It was a little bit of a controversy.
0: little controversy. Of course, they made fun of Dan Quayle. But then they went back and they tried to determine the age of the word and how it was spelled. So they went to the dictionary and it was spelled initially in Noah Webster's first dictionary with an E, just like Quayle had done. And then they quoted the Quincy Wig, No. From 1845. And it talks about a potato digger and it has an E. So they actually, in the Wall Street Journal for that story on Dan Quayle, quoted the wig from 1845.
1: That's very cool. And what's amazing is that You can access
0: that now. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, at the Historical Society website, which is just hsqac.org, if you go to our research page, you can access that. That's actually through the public library. Yeah. But we have all the links there, so we make it really easy. So you can search our collection. You can search that collection. Then you can go out to our newspaper articles, which are all on there, which we've been doing for the last 11 years. Yeah. And I don't know if you knew this, but the Historical Society just won two awards from the Illinois State Historical Society Yearly Awards.
1: Did not know that. Congratulations.
0: So the Governor's Post won for Best in Illinois.
1: Which is high quality.
0: And so did the Once Upon a Time. Really? And they're all accessible, so.
1: Both worthy of that. that says a lot about our values for history in Quincy that's pretty neat, Rob. Good for you for for doing that. But yeah, I know that, uh, for instance, with friends in in the Mormon church that that are interested in Quincy history, that once, uh, and we got that grant through Jesse White, because our Secretary of State is our state librarian. And I think we've got up to 1926 at the public library, digitized all the newspapers of Quincy, which is the history of Quincy. And those people all over the world use that search mechanism to find things from the WIG or the Journal or the Herald or probably going back to the Bounty Line Register.
0: It does go back to that. Yes.
1: Of course, what we need to do is get from 1926 to 2021 digitized, and we ran out of money and no more grants. So who knows? Jesse White going to be there to help us if next year he retires. He's not going to run for re-election. So whoever the next Secretary of State is, hopefully, will value that because it's really important.
0: So the last thing I want to ask you about is what was the resolution for this court case? Did it actually go to trial? You know, what was the final determination?
1: I think it was one on on essentially a motion for summary judgment in our favor once we established that the patent couldn't be any good because it wasn't unique. So we won, and I would take that as an official court determination of the origins of the lattice fry
0: so quincy is officially we we still have to call ourselves the gem city yeah but we're also the lattice fries capital of the world
1: (laughs) (laughs) along with many many other things to recommend it but uh, no one else can say that Rob.
0: nobody else can well thanks a lot chuck i appreciate it
1: oh thank you as always i look forward to the next one rob take care
0: I'd like to thank Chuck once again today for another amazing Tales from the Gem City. If you liked our talk today, please share this episode with a friend. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. All you got to do, hit the subscribe button on the directory that you use and get all of the new episodes, including the Tales from the Gem City, immediately when they're released. Subscribing is the only way to get those new shows right away. For more information on the podcast, like the History of Go-Go Facebook page and check out our YouTube channel as well. The music was provided by the North Carolina band Bones Fork, and if you want to find out what they have going on, just click on their link. It's in the description below. Finally, to the growing list of listeners and supporters from several countries and hundreds of cities across America, I have to say thank you, and I know Chuck thanks you as well. There are many more great episodes on the way with discussions on the wild days of the glam rock bands of the 1980s, the history of the impact of hurricanes, D-Day Girls, just in time for the anniversary of D-Day, when the Irish invaded Canada, which should be interesting, and the presidents versus the press. So join us again next time when we talk, think, and drink on History of Go-Go.